quick warning, we do talk about suicide and suicidal tendencies in this episode. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Thank you, and on with the episode. This podcast is a proud member of the Paranormality Podcast Network. Fuzz of the computer screen casts halos of light around your eyes. The back wall behind the monitor is darkly non-existent, like a floating portal into time, a single window of light into an otherwise empty void. Your limbs are heavy, bone-tired, yet your mind races unable to focus. When you close your eyes, the images of cats playing with yarn replay behind your eyelids like a kind of tetra syndrome of internet media. All your focus is lost. One thought begins, then immediately dissipates. What time is it? It's all fuzzy, the whole thing. A collage of screen noise blurring up your life. And again tomorrow, emails, text messages, video calls, and you explore the Arctic, Amazon, Kentucky, all six inches from your nose, in the palm of your hand. Is this life? You wonder about the difference between a jail cell, a pine cedar oblong box, and the inside of your apartment. Do you get cell service six feet underground? It works in the Lincoln Tunnel. My friends are digital, how about yours? Are they still friends if we've never shaken hands, looked into each other's eyes? What are they like unfiltered? Am I living or a digital ghost? I'm Rob Asercha, and here are some of the burning questions through the fiber optic cable of this week's episode. Joining me are my co-hosts, David B. Jacobs and Devin Shepard. We are cadaver dogs. How's it going, guys? I feel kind of ghostish right now because I think everything you just said kind of describes like being a podcast host. <laughs> right? Yeah, especially in like post-COVID era, it's all of us. I haven't seen Devin in person in like... A year. Yeah. Close to it. Yeah. We actually we actually became friends through the internet, through Zoom calls. It's That's true. true. So I'm Rob Pesercha, as always. I'm the runner of Whimsy Productions, LLC. I also work as a grip for Local 52, and I write and direct horror shorts for other podcasts, as well as this one. Uh, I'm David B. Jacobs. I am a writer, director, uh, script supervisor, and horror addict i'm devin shepherd i'm a writer director and producer you can see my work currently on shutter with my feature film a nightmare wakes which i produced as well as the short film attention which is now on arrow video uh so today we have two very interesting films from you about a decade apart to start us off on our first film is devin shepherd i am so stoked about this movie i'm glad we got to cover it it is cam Released in 2018, directed by Daniel Goldhaber, and screenplay by Issa Mezzi. Cam girl Lola, real name Alice Ackerman, is on her way to finally breaking into the top 50 on her campsite. She's making a good living, attracting some cash cow fanboys, but it all comes crashing down when she is suddenly locked out of her account. Lola discovers a girl who looks exactly like her has stolen her persona. She fights to get back into her account while also trying to find out who or what this doppelganger is. She discovers she may not be the first cam girl to fall victim to this internet parasite. Wow. If that's not a hook, I don't know what is. Speaking of hooks, this movie had me glued to the screen for the first like 45 minutes. Yes! You know what I really like about this movie? I, I felt like I was getting a window into a section of society I, I didn't know about. There felt mm. like there was a real, like, realness to the content going on. And uh, maybe we'll get to it a little bit later. But even in the villain, there, there's a kind of realness to this doppelganger that takes over her life. I, I just, I didn't know that much about camming. I don't, I don't watch camming. Uh, yeah, same yeah. here. And I think that's kind of why I struggled a bit the first time. Like, you, I could tell there was something going on, but I couldn't quite figure out how to process it all. 
Uh, but I mean, the the writer Isamaze definitely knows what she's talking about. She herself is a former cam girl, um, and brings a lot of that experience into this screenplay. Yeah, the authenticity was really incredible, and and she made sure it was a point, and I'm I'm sure Daniel, the director, did as well that they had real life cam girls and current cam girls. Um, at every stage of the script and what I assume through production and post-production. They even had um, cam girls in the film itself. They made sure to screen the movie for, for, for cam girls and sex workers and they showed drafts of the scripts to them like because Issa recognized like, oh, this was my experience with this world, yes. that, that, but everyone's experience is going to be a bit different and I want to make sure that I'm reflecting all of that instead of just my own so smart and that's how you do it and that's how you make you know a very personal film a little more universal yeah i get that and it does feel uh correct and authentic but it also feels like a very specific viewpoint view the film i mm -hmm. the whole time i can tell it's from alice's point of view i mean there's no question of who the main character is whereas our second film there is a little bit of a question of who the main character mm -hmm. is so in that sense it's almost a very western type of film um, but there are some like really groundbreaking, I don't know if they're groundbreaking, but some really innovative uses of media through this. And I was wondering if you think that it being an independent film allowed them to take these kind of chances. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of screen time dedicated to the actual forum on the campsites. And a lot of, uh, of the movie is shot through uh, a webcam almost. And it looks like it's shot through a webcam. Like the colors are kind of like oversaturated. And it's a little bit grainy, and it looks gritty as fuck, and it adds to the I actually horror love of the whole thing. This movie, I think it looks incredible. One thousand percent. Yeah, I agree with you. I I don't think this movie could have been made outside of an independent system, uh, because there is such a stigma against sex work that I, I don't think a studio would have greenlit the movie. I, I think they would have been like, "Oh, you're trying to sympathize with a cam girl? How could you?" No, I. I don't know if I buy that because Pretty Woman's a movie. What, what? Which one? Pretty Woman. I mean, a lot of Hollywood movies have uh, a sex worker main characters. You know. Yeah, but it doesn't show as much of an authentic life of the sex workers. I feel. I feel like it shows like a Hollywood version of sex work. Whereas, um, I think the most relatable one to this movie, going off of what David said, was actually Hustlers, mm. okay. where. Um, I saw in a Q&A, um, Lone Scherfig, the, the director, and all the, the female producers were doing a, a panel, and they were talking about how literally everyone said no to that film because you, you villainized the strippers, which was interesting. And then they, all, and they like, didn't humanize the patrons as much. And so I think David's right that like Cam would have to go through the independent film system in order to be accepted at all. And then, but immediately got bought by Netflix. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like immediately um, and became a huge, huge splash. Because a studio is afraid to take a risk, but if an independent, if independent people take the risk and then it turns out really good, then all of a sudden the studio's like, oh yes, we, we love this now. <laughs> and then they all want it because now you're tapping into a, a unique market that hasn't really been tapped outside of this. Right. Yeah, I, I think in that respect, you're on to something with the content. But I meant just the visual style seemed like not not very totally. not very Hollywood. So I, even if they a Hollywood studio were to pick up on this project, I think it would be it would look significantly different. I think you are right. Well, and I think it would be I think it yeah. would look worse. I think it would be too clean <laughs> and it wouldn't play as well. I think it works better that it's a bit dirty. I agree, and but and I think we've seen some um, internet films that, th that went through the studio system. How do you so, so? What what do you guys feel about how it portrays sex work in this movie? It feels authentic, but do you think it's an absolutely like positive one? I kind of like how it it is kind of a biased viewpoint, but we're not given like this holy grail to sex work. It's not necessarily like positive. Alice, before and after the fact, has some serious issues with their own life. It seems like she has a disconnect with her uh, family life, with her mother. She's like not on good terms with her. And by the end of the movie, probably one of my uh, criticisms, if you'd say this, is that the schism that mm -hmm. forms between her and her brother, 
uh, Jordan never gets That is a really resolved. weird point and probably one that we should come back to. But I do want to focus on what you just said here about um, is it portraying sex work in a good light? And I think yes. I think because they empower the sex worker and they show like that these sex workers are in control and they do have a life outside of this and they do have struggles with the work that they do do. I know repeatedly Alice slash Logo says in the film, like, this is my job. This is how I get paid. This is how I do things. Like when she's in that scene with the cop, which I definitely want to come back to at some point, um, they're like questioning her oh, yeah. and grilling her. And she's like, if, if I had any other job, this would be a completely different conversation. Like you guys don't respect my work. And I think this is a, this is a viewpoint that Issa, the writer made very, very clear is like, this is how we respect this work is to show the authority and, and the multifacets of, of these characters and of these sex workers. So I think it's, I think it's, it's done very well. Mm -hmm. And sorry, I'm ranting, but I think they also put a good light on the viewers, fans, um, whatever we want to call them they show that they are also people and they also are also humans and they don't, they don't villainize them and they don't, right. um, some of them are creepy. Yes, but they don't like talk down. I to disagree. Them. I disagree. They're all villain. Really? Who, who are the two? There's Tinker and Barney completely villainized. Even her brother's villainized. What? In a certain, to a certain extent. Yeah. Her, bro her brother no. and all his friends um, are villainized. In fact, every male person in the movie is villainized to a certain extent. There's no good male character. I'm going to take a mid I'm going to take a middle ground on this. First, I think Devin is completely right that this movie is a very positive portrayal of sex workers. It definitely portrays them appropriately. Um I read that Issa Mazzi really wanted to show the the, the customers in mm. positive light. I don't think that it actually mm. does that. I agree with Rob that her customers are villainized. We meet two of them in person, and both of them suck. Yes, they both just they do suck. do yeah. just creepy things. Yes, yeah. and we don't they're, they're have a counter example to that. Uh, I, yeah, the brother, uh, the brother Jordan's friends are absolutely terrible. They're disgusting people. Jordan himself isn't villainized. I don't think that. I don't see that at all. I think. I he mean, is. he's kind of a dick. I mean, not not he's kind of a dick, but. He, he's really th not. there's no resolution there's no resolution right yeah no they resolution. don't resolve there's no resolution but, yeah but um, he has a reason to be upset like yes. he's not yeah, he's struggling yeah yeah but it, it was really cool to see him accept her like when we have the scene where she's in her mother's shop and her brother comes over and she's mm -hmm. like um she's she's taking sending nude photos of herself mm -hmm. to her customers um i like that term customers that's that's exactly what we should call them um and her brother, and we think that like she's going to hide the phone from her brother, but in fact, she talks about her job to him, and then he accepts that. And that was such a cool new he's her confidant. To see in this. All film. right, th this comes into all the aspects yeah. of the movie. The tension comes through the passing of the boundary between her work persona and her regular everyday persona, right? And like her mother, her brother is the one confidant in between there. But then even when the boundary crosses over and his friends find out about it, that causes a serious tension, right? Uh, the only person where the boundary crosses over and it doesn't cause a real issue is with her mother, who just accepts her and is like, actually, I like this. You're all empowered. You're not moping around yeah. in pajamas yeah. anymore, which that part is pretty cool. But um, the main character, Alice, she sets up these boundaries. She doesn't tell her customers that I love you. She, uh, What else does she not do? I don't do public shows. I don't tell my guys I love them, and I don't fake orgasms. My rules. Exactly. And then, when the evil uh, entity, whatever it is, um, AI maybe that's that's the theory. Uh, AI demon, one of those. I like the AI one. I think that's pretty cool. When it when it takes over a life, it starts crossing all these boundaries, and then we start seeing the uh, the division between uh, the personal life and the professional life, um, the authentic life and the inauthentic life kind of blurring the lines here right and we see where all those issues uh, arise and one of them is kind of like the predatory nature uh, or the parasitic relationship she has with her customers and how this kind of reinforces their already uh, maybe germinating bad behaviors yeah i think it's it's fascinating with the boundaries how how the 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 demon ai lola whatever you want to call her um do, it specifically breaks those rules that specifically we see it yes. doing a public show uh specifically it tells all the guys 
I love you. Just constantly like, oh, I love you guys all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I mean, I does it fake its orgasms? Well, the entire thing is fake. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. And then in the finale, it when they have to copy each other, it makes Alice say, "I love you guys." And she also yes. breaks the rules before that. She, I think, in order too. She has a public show. I mean, it's debatable whether or not she fakes her orgasm when she's writing the Vibatron. Oh, Alice, perhaps. Yeah, she doesn't, does she? Uh, well, that it. We we're not exactly we sure. Um. They, but they tell her, like, you're probably going to have to fake it. And then at the end, um, in the vanity uh, scene, um, she does say, I love you. That's the final one. And one of the last boundaries she does is she has to change her identity at the end. Yeah. She becomes, is, was it she becomes Eve? Yes. Eve Bot. And, and she, she changes her hair. Eve she Bot. changes her look. Is that a rule? Yeah. No, it's not a rule. But it's a final boundary, I would argue. It's her whole identity has to change. Well, I think that's really it. It's like this whole entire time she's been struggling to um, keep these two lives separate. But also, um, I read an interview with, with Issa, the writer, and, and she was saying, like, what what Alice was doing throughout the entire time was being herself in both worlds. And she couldn't separate performer from personal life. And in the end, when she turns into Eve Botter, when she so this is really interesting. Um, reveals her new persona, um, Eve Bot, that's because her separating those two lives, right? Instead of trying to combine them and bring them into I one. I hadn't thought about the, the, the Vibratron scene as a public show or as a fake orgasm. But since you bring that up, and because the demon shows up the following day, you could say that the demon appears because she is losing that boundary. Because she is breaking her own rules. I think so. Yeah. Oh. I think uh, well, well, it's interesting because I- Issa yeah, said that point. when she was a cam girl herself, the writer, um, her her uh, videos were stolen. They were pirated. And they were sent all over the world. And, oh, yeah, really? yeah. And like so, so in a in a way, this movie is slightly autobiographical, right? Oh my gosh. And and she's all of a sudden on the internet, like finding it. And I've had that experience with Facebook. Uh, pages a lot where people made fake facebook accounts of me and stuff weird enough it's like i have like 50 friends who the fuck needs to make a face fake facebook of me but it's happened a bunch of times fake youtube accounts and stuff like i don't know why <laughs> like me of all people it's really weird like why are you guys faking me of all people i have it's like four weird. friends what are you trying to do <laughs> anyway yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> I, my fake my facebook has been faked more than my credit card <laughs> right and it's like, wow, I have a lot more zeros in my account than friends. Um, that's probably not really true. I'm I'm curious how many girls out there think that they're talking to Rob Persertia and are, like, Ugh. in love with him. And it's actually some person, some catfish person out there. I mean, if the girl is in love with him, then it's probably a fake. That's job. true. That's true. Yeah. But uh, on the flip side, I... I I've gotten some. I've gotten some hate messages of like, "Why the fuck would you send me this?" And I'm like, "Well, that's obvious." Low blow. You like that's happened. That happened to me last week. Someone sent me a message like, "Hey, is this you?" And I'm like, "No." Like, oh, why crap. would I send? Why would I have a profile picture from ten years ago up anyway? So, what is it scary to you though? Because I, I like, I feel like something that I really love about this movie is the that Issa like hit every single fear that I could predict is a fear of cam girls you know um their customers getting a little too handsy um them coming a little too close someone taking your identity someone pushing you too far your parents finding out etc etc like all that stuff is so scary and i think like this to me is a perfect example of what horror can do and why i like horror so much is it takes real life fears and then amplifies them to internet demons mm-hmm. well it's definitely like several steps uh, removed from what happened to me because my, you know like identity theft mostly is financial you know like oh my god my life's under yes. attack whereas her it's like it's it's her actual persona is under attack so in a way she becomes a voyeur of her own life like she's forced to become a customer at one point and take on the role of a customer and she starts actually paying that's true her uh doppelganger yeah. Right? How awesome were those scenes where she's watching herself and just like completely lost like that, yeah. that wide of her in her bedroom with like Chinese food everywhere. And she's just like staring at herself. It's so creepy. <laughs> oh, that's great. At the end when she's supposedly with baby girl, who's also an AI or whatever, and she's running into a room to see what's going on. 
And she's like, wait, they're not here. And then they're like, oh, they're trying to show Jordan off. That part was really cool. The whole middle section of this movie is so good. Oh, my God. When it brought when it brought her brother into the cam, it's just like, oh, my God, this is the worst yeah, thing yeah. ever. Yeah. She actually fucks her brother over pretty hard doing this. Right. Well, that's not her. That's that's probably why her brother's so pissed at him. He probably found out she did that. It's like, what the fuck? Why would you do this? And she's like, it's not me. Yeah. Good, good luck explaining it not yeah <laughs> um yeah the mom's just like he'll get over it which is like true he'll get over it you know it's pretty cool i do love the mom and her attitude towards everything yeah, yeah. it's a little odd but it's cool in what way the whole thing odd of like being a sex girl or sex worker is on cam cam lifestyle the entire thing's odd there's so mm. many odd things about it there's this weird um in, like infatuation with like little kid things that are going on a lot of like glitter and barbie dolls and stuff yeah. that shit's so fucking creepy i i know yeah maybe i'm being like uh unsympathetic but to me that's fucking weird that old guys are wanking it to that that's like the like uh what do they call jabroni thing yeah. it's so strange as long, if, if you so have strange. a kink then as long as you're exercising yeah. in a healthy way and you aren't hurting anyone then i don't Care. yes but as the movie suggests all the guys are exercising in an unhealthy way yeah the movie does argue that no not necessarily because i don't think just because you have a character in a movie you're representing an entire segment of the population i think that's null and void i don't think that's a fair argument because what you're doing in a movie is presenting a very small portion of the world for people to look at if you're doing the kind of investigative storytelling that this film is doing just because you have a certain character that fits type x doesn't mean that all that type x do why action but the movie has two characters that fit type x and both of them are terrible and there are no counter examples so the first one is barney he's the one who she meets up with and then he sees the the video of the demon online it's like uh who's this girl then in the bathroom and he he just like attacks her in public and no one does anything everyone just stands and watches yeah they're all kind of in shock it's fucked up yeah. 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 Um and then we have Tinker. Yeah, Tinker. And he yeah. says he wants to help her. He acts as though he wants to help her. He comes there, he says, I think this is going to happen to you and she's like, Oh well, it's good that someone is trying to help me and then she wakes up and finds out that he's wanking it to the demon in the other room. And it's like, What? And she's like, Well, what the hell are you doing? He's like, Oh, I'm investigating. <laughs> He's the worst kind of white knight, you know? <laughs> very, very messed up, yeah. Um, all right, here's a counter argument to my argument, because that was my argument um, also, is that she does have good customers. She just doesn't meet them because she's not supposed... The good customers are the ones she doesn't meet. That's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Because they're the ones that are able... I think I think it plays into the theme of what we were talking about with identity, right? Like, the good customers are the ones that are able to separate their real life with their kink life. Mm-hmm. Whereas Barney meets all these girls in person and it starts to bleed a little bit mm. in. Tink is obsessing over these mm. internet girls and meeting them in person, blah, blah, blah. It's when they don't have the control to separate. I think that's that's when we really start to see like the villain coming through. There is. I just saw this in, in the opening scene when she uh, fake slits her throat. Uh, she, mm. she and Tinker have worked out where he's on a different account mm. and he's like, telling her like oh you should kill yourself or whatever and it's a, a gag in order to get people freak out but to, in order to get people turned on and whatnot but before they realize that when they're they're just like this is some random guy who's being weird and creepy and you're like ban this creep who is this guy get him out of here and they're all just on her side yeah they are yeah they are yeah. at the same time they don't know the difference when it's a demon yeah but i mean like can you expect someone to be like oh that's not her that's a demon doppelganger <laughs> Right, because they don't obsess like Tink does. Okay, wait. I, I, we're all making really good points, but I want to go back because the first five minutes of this film are so incredible. I was literally, like you were saying at the beginning, Rob, like glued to my seat. Like, <laughs> so yeah. good. It is. This movie has a great sense of tension. The entire time, I'm really tense. To me, to me, the most cringe scene is the Vibratron scene. Yes. That makes sense. I, I'm probably like fucking vanilla cookie with vanilla cream just like you know just just tell like what it was whipped cream on my wonder bread you know so 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 the vibratron stuff i'm like oh like i texted david i'm like dude this movie's too cringe i had to take a break 
<laughs> That's so funny because <laughs> I have a vagina and I was like, okay, like, sure. I, yeah. I was expecting it to be like a little more of like what yeah. I assume watching um, teeth is for men. <laughs> also, uh, as far as Tinker's concerned, uh, the movie does a smart thing by making Tinker into a real bad guy, right? Because in the beginning, uh, Alice pretty much fucks over Tinker. Like, he's supposed he's this guy in cahoots with her. Like, he's the number one customer. He's helping her out. He's really going above and beyond. As soon as she breaks that gap of 50 and gets a bigger whale on, on the hook, she's like, fuck Tinker. Get rid of him. All right? And then he starts being a total creeper. But No, I think he starts being creep before, no? Yeah, he moves... He moves to where she lives. He does, but that's right after she starts acting weird towards him. You're right, because she she goes after the second Barney gets on. She's like, oh, I'm going after the bigger fish and starting to ignore Tink, mm-hmm. Tinker. But I think it's also a point that she doesn't owe Tink anything. Uh, well, she doesn't owe him anything, but it's kind of like if you have a friend who does you a bunch of favors and you just drop them. It's fucked up. Or more like if you have a friend who does you a bunch of favors and then you get a call like, hey, can you be on set tomorrow? I'll give you uh, 200 bucks for, uh, more than that. I'll give you like 800 bucks if you're on set tomorrow. And then you say, hey, I'm going to cancel our plans. I got to go make money. And then the friend says, okay, that makes sense. Go do that. Yeah, but she doesn't communicate that. It is, it, it, so like in a way, like, yeah, I, I feel like she, she did... <laughs> tink tink dirty but then he definitely crosses the boundary and not only that she crosses her own boundary by saying i'm gonna that's not one of her boundaries yeah yeah but it's it's crossing the boundary between screen and and interpersonal connection but it's not one of her boundaries but it is a boundary but it's not because it's not one of her boundaries and i think that that's a thing but it's the same boundaries like her identity isn't it's not listed as one of her boundaries but it's one of the boundaries of the movie it's not something that she is uncomfortable with and i think what's important is what she's comfortable with and what she's not well it's implied that she doesn't meet her other customer no it's not it is i but she but she does hang out with tink i guess not in person because he doesn't live in the area but she does hang out with him by a zoom but that could be a private thing can we talk Mm. about madeline brewer's performance for a second She's awesome, actually. She does a lot, and she really, she really looks like two different people throughout it. Um, really my, my favorite Cam one is when she's doing the workout thing, and she's like a one, a two, a three, and it's like it's just it's just a complete performance. Like that is a completely different person than, than even the Cam girl who's eating the meat. Yeah. Isn't that Demon Lola? That is Demon Lola, yeah, but the same actress. And then the, the yeah. then Demon Lola in that same scene uh, shoots herself, does another fake suicide. And this time, though, Alice isn't the one doing it. She's watching it. And she, like, has this breakdown moment mm. over it. It's um, so it's incredible. So terrifying. <laughs> it's just... Mm. It's, it's interesting also, how again, it's one, one thing scenes, yeah. when she's doing it and a different thing when she's watching it. And, I mean, it's just all about whether or not she's in control, mm. I think. Mm-hmm. Issa has said in she wrote a book called Cam Girl about her actual experience. At the end of the book, she uh, she explains that being a cam girl in real life helped her process her actual trauma from Mm -hmm. sexual abuse and helped her come to terms with that and face that. And I think that is so interesting because she was able to exercise her sexuality in this safe environment that she didn't even like sex. Yeah, and I I think that goes back to my point earlier of like, the way cam girls are portrayed in this film is because they have the control. Like you were saying, David, they, they have the control over the sex. And, um, I see why that would be such a good tool for, um, for therapy. She quotes pretty women. I say who I say when I say how much I kind of, I kind of feel like, um, because she's creating these kind of like, false uh connections with people these relationships so that it causes this breakdown in her boundaries between herself and her identity because right we we get the idea that she has no friends outside of the cam world um even her brother who's her family what's their connection what do they talk about they talk about the cam world stuff she's completely lost sight of who she is outside of this thing she's relied so heavily on the interconnection of this like inauthentic totally relationship machine when she needs a friend to bring to her brother's birthday party she like runs into someone in the grocery store she hasn't seen in 10 years like hey you want to come to my brother's birthday party with me (laughs) she doesn't know how to be a quote-unquote normal person in a quote-unquote normal life (laughs) and i think i didn't even understand why that person is in the movie until you said that right there rob so thank you 
there's this danger of trying to connect with other people through the technology of the internet in that it is inauthentic and it's not a, a healthy replacement for the real thing. And it can cause a lot of these problems. We, we even lose the boundary between ourselves and our identity in this mm -hmm. case. You guys were saying how, how men are villainized in this film. And I think the cop scene does villainize the men and the cops, but it also, she, uh, Issa, the writer, spoke with someone and this happens. Like this is exactly something that happens in real life where um, a Cam Gore girl reports something to the police and they talk mm. down to her. They don't take it seriously. And then they hit on her. And essentially in this scene, the guy treats her like an actual sex worker where she exchanges like sex work for. They ask her if she's a prostitute, yeah. essentially. Yeah, and I like don't want to say that yeah, term, yeah. but yes, essentially. And then, but that's the way they are putting it. Yes. Like they're putting it in a derogatory mm -hmm. way, even if it shouldn't be. That's how the cops are phrasing it. He's essentially being like, oh, because you yes. give it away, then I can have it. And it, it's kind of like this ownership over a woman in this position, which is why, again, why I think it's so important that this, mo that this movie shows um, that a sex worker, a cam girl, is actually in power during these situations. I want to go to our next film, but first... Here is a promo for another podcast on the Paranormality Network. Hey guys, it's Heather and Kristen, the hosts of Sinister Sweethearts podcast. And we want to take a little bit of time to tell you about our show. We're former college sweetmates turned lifelong best friends who share a love for all things weird, creepy, and sinister. Come along with us as we journey through the 50 states of America, exploring everything from the paranormal to conspiracy theories to true crime and everything in between. It's a wild ride with a new state chosen every week, and you never know what you're going to get. New episodes drop every Tuesday, so come find us at SinisterSweethearts.com or your favorite podcast player, and let's explore our sinister sides together. Our next film uh, comes from the other side of the globe, and... Uh, about two decades decades prior. Would you like to meet a ghost? This is the question proposed by a webpage that opens automatically in 2001's Pulse, originally titled Cairo in Japan, written and directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. We follow separate parallel stories as characters gradually realize that the afterlife has overflown and ghosts are intruding on the real world through the internet. Do you guys like this movie? I like this movie a lot, and uh, I, I don't think it's a movie for everyone. I watched it twice in order to prepare for this, and the first time I didn't really enjoy it so much. But it does, and I, I found out why, and I think it's because in the translation of the film that I saw, it's not well translated. It makes the script oh, no way. kind of crappy. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the horror sequences, though, incredible. Love them. I see why you like this film so much. I, the horror sequences were really, really great. And the right. score, holy hell. It's just a woman, like, <laughs> wailing the entire time. Well, except for when it's really fucking quiet and then it's really, really, really creepy. I respect yeah. this film. <laughs> mm, David didn't like I, it. I, I already told David he's entitled to his bad opinion. <laughs> so, I, I, I love this movie, but you really got to be in the right... Uh, headspace to watch it because it gives off this tone of being up too late and on the internet at 3 a.m. And that's mm. the entire vibe. It's one of those movies that takes substance and atmosphere before narrative storytelling. That's why sometimes you get these weird info dumps throughout and yeah. it's clumsy as the one article you sent me, uh, I think it was bloody disgusting wrote a lot of the info exposition is very clumsy, but I think that makes it kind of interesting. Like the people don't act. I feel like they, they make like realistic, uh, reactions to things sometimes but then some characters are really strange the one i'm thinking of is the boss mm. you know they like three of the I feel like they're he's so weird oh the <laughs> boss is weird but for the most part i actually think yeah. the characters do act pretty realistically except for like when they're right. actually like in a supernatural thing and then obviously they don't but that's that's the point um i think for the most part the characters act pretty realistic oh, i'm glad you said that 
I, I mean, I, I think I would have a better understanding of the internet That's than true. they do, but it's also this is 2001. <laughs> <laughs> it's really funny. The characters, they were hard to follow too, because I feel like none of them really got an introduction and some were just like, I am here for two scenes. I seem important, but I'm here to give exposition. And now I am going away and you'll never see me again. Goodbye. Yes. Before my second watch, I like read a synopsis to help me like follow everything that was going on. Because you're right, it is like a little hard to follow sometimes. Just with there's a lot of characters, and they just come and go, and they're yeah. well introduced, and it's hard to keep track of them. And yeah, and Rob, <laughs> you said that you wanted to ask like who the main character was, oh, and I'm like, there's, I don't there's know. really two main characters. There's actually two two narratives going on. There's that, two main that, characters that meet at the end. Um, the first yeah. follows three characters. It's so lame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, uh, there's a there, there's, <laughs> the first story is Michi, Junku, uh, Yabe, and their friend Taguchi. Who Taguchi dies in like the grossest hanging scene yeah. ever, where his neck just gets totally stretched in this bizarre fucking oh kind gosh. of ultra realistic suicide, which really kind of fucks with me. I watched I watched the first like half hour of it again today. They go to his house to check on him because he has, they haven't heard from him in two weeks. Um, they get there, and he's like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "I'm fine." She's like, well, "We've been worried about you. What are you doing?" He's like, "You yeah, know, just stuff." And then he picks up a rope he's fumbling with, and he goes, oh, yeah, over there is the disc you want. And then he just walks away, and she walks in, and he's fucking dead with his neck all stretched out and shit, which I think gives the impersonation that he actually killed yeah. himself way before then. She was talking to his ghost. Oh. Oh. That's, I was hmm. so confused, because the first yeah. time I watched it, that's what I thought. But the second time I watched it, I noticed he does take, take it, it's, yeah. and it, it's a cable. It's a cord, actually. Oh, which, yeah, it's an internet cable. But it could be the ghost just reenacting how he was actually killed. Which Yes, which is so perfect. That's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. That makes sense. He looks freshly dead. Well, th that's kind of... But isn't that what the movie does? Is that they kill themselves and then they become the stain. Sometimes they'll manifest. So they'll still take on the form as though they had just died because he's been spending all this time in some ink stain instead. Yeah, um, yeah. What's well, like? I actually, kind of... I, I, I had not thought of that. I, I'm fully on board with that interpretation. I think, yeah, he probably killed himself a while ago. Yeah, because later, uh, uh, I think it's Yabe goes to find him too, right before the best scene in the movie. Yeah, and mm -hmm. um, yeah, and the same thing happens. To, he see, he sees Taguchi yeah. and is like Taguchi, and then he's all of a sudden not there, and he sees a stain on the wall, which I think is like a, it's like an <laughs> ash stain or like a printer ink stain. You said, which is pretty interesting. It's a shadow, a shadow on the wall, right? So yeah. we, I think we got to talk a little bit about the plot because I think even if you've seen this movie, it is convoluted. So there's really two storylines going on. There's the first storyline, which is the uh, the I, the three main characters pretty much who work at the plant store, right? The the gardening, the florist, I guess. And then the other one is, uh, God, what's his name? It starts with an R. It's Rio uh, uh, Suke. Yeah, Ryosuke, who's an economic major who apparently doesn't know anything about computers, and and Haru, who is the uh, computer science Harue, uh, Harue, who's the computer science um, TA or something. I probably got wrong too. Yeah, yeah it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's okay. And then, awesome. uh, well, what happens is there's no more room in hell. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Exactly, like like in Day of the Dead. <laughs> Yeah, um, you just saw that tagline. Said, "I'm making a movie out of that." Yeah, which is cool. So, so the uh, <laughs> the ghosts infiltrate um, the world through the internet, and what they want to do is they don't want to kill people because that'll make more ghosts, and there'll be there's not enough space for all these ghosts. So they want to trap people in their own loneliness through this eternal cycle, and the deep seated fear of this movie is, which they explicitly say a few different times is that we're all disconnected all the time and the internet only exacerbates this project of human connectivity and that when we die, we are never connected. Like Harui says, I can't wait until I die one day because then I'll see all my family and friends again. And then she realizes, no, when we die, we'll never see anyone again. Um, so that's the fear of this. So I don't think like the movie's about the suicide. It's that even if you kill yourself, you're stuck in the same cycle. 
So the, even the characters who kill themselves yeah. are stuck in the same cycle as the ones who don't. See, I think that what you just said, though, is about suicide. Like, I I mean, this movie is clearly about suicide. No, it's not about suicide. It's about depression. It's, it's like a slower it's, it's about bird depression. box. Like how yeah. in bird... Like how in Bird Box, uh, you see the Lovecraftian monster and then you kill yourself immediately. In this one, you're going to kill yourself, but like weeks later after you've just spent all this time being unbelievably depressed and lonely. And even when there are people there, you, it's like they're not there. You're just lonely until you kill yourself. But not everyone kills themselves. And that's that's my like question of like how suicide even plays into this movie at all. Like it are, and, and I think... I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Rob, but I feel like this movie is less about the people that commit suicide and more about the friends and the people surrounding them grieving about said suicide. Yeah, when when the when the sailor comes up to Michi and is, and um, they have a conversation, she's like, "Am I doing the right thing?" And he's like, "The only thing you can do is really like go on living." Essentially, is what he says. Um, and I feel like that's a way that people really talk about grief more so. It's like, how, how do I even survive after my best friend killed themselves? It's like, you can, you can only go on living. And they're like, that guilt of living. That, I, th- I think that's kind of part of it. I think the movie kind of, I think the movie kind of argues that everyone is suicidal. No, 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 no. That, that's what happens when you see the ghost is you become either suicidal or you get stuck in the loneliness. No. Because the suicide is an attempt to escape the loneliness, and it's a failed attempt, right? Right. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's everyone's lonely, everyone's depressed, but suicide isn't the answer. Suicide for everybody, like... Everybody doesn't make that decision. Some people go on living with the depression. Some people go on living with the loneliness. It's not something that everyone eventually mm-hmm. does. You know, like that that's realistic. And I think, um, Rob, you sent over, David, you can find your quote, but Rob, you sent over a lot of really great videos talking about how Japan and Tokyo specifically is a very lonely city and they struggle a lot with this isolation issue and they, they struggle a lot with um, suicide. I think the suicide rates there are incredibly high. Yeah. I mean, the Logan Paul found one just running around a forest. Remember that? No, that's so uh, it, wrong. It's, it's bad. So no, wrong, but it's Rob. true. It's like, there's so many, that's the suicide forest. He was running around. There's so many suicides there. It's just, right. you could just walk around that forest and there's a chance you might find someone who killed themselves. Did you end up seeing that movie about that forest? I saw a part of it, I think. I watched Suicide Club last week, though, which was directly about suicide, you know, obviously. Have you guys seen that one? No. came out right around this time, too. It was like 2001, 2002. Are they really alive, though? How are they different from ghosts? In fact, ghosts and people are the same, whether they're dead or alive. This movie is... Like, those aren't different things, whether they get stuck in their loneliness or kill themselves. That's the same thing. Yes. yes, that's what I mean. That's why killing yourself is not a solution. It's a futile solution. You, you're you stuck either way. Yeah. Yes. And that's why... Disconnected but that's from also people. why it's still about suicide, even when they don't literally even kill themselves. Well, yeah, but that's not the central theme. The central theme is that it's about the disconnectivity of people. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Toshio Rabe says maybe he suddenly just wanted to die i get that way so t- sometimes it's so easy to hang yourself mm-hmm. yeah and then um well well the <laughs> the boss is so strange <laughs> when the one girl's going over to see yabe right after he sees the ghost in that amazing scene where the woman yeah uh, she's talking to the uh her boss and he's like what are friends you just hurt each other and you you talk past each other. He's like, who needs friends like that? Why even bother going? Which is the idea is that none of us really truly connect with yeah. each other. Like all we do is talk past each other. There's no escape. And David wanted to argue if this is a real philosophy. I don't think this movie's saying that's the philosophy. I think this movie is just expressing a fear of that. And I think that's what makes it good horror. This is a fear that we all have that none of us are ever going to be understood, that none of our friends really truly know who we are. And we don't know who our friends are. We're never, never going to connect we die alone 
and we live a lot. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I think the direction of this film and, and how they portray that is so subtle and so well done. There are so many actions that happen in the background that even the viewer sometimes doesn't notice until it's too late. Like the moment when um, the, I think it's the second suicide, when the woman is on the tower, she's standing in the background for a oh. while. <laughs> that seems crazy. And then we don't yep. notice her until she jumps, which... How the hell did they shoot that? Because you just see her fall. Dummy. Maybe it's a marionette or something. She moves. There's like the most discordant fucking uh, noise after that. They have like just the insane instrumental like follow up. It's not the woman wailing. It's just instruments. But it's just discordant. That shit's chilling. So again, how is it not about suicide? Well, suicide's like one of it, but the movie's not exploring suicide. It's exploring loneliness. Which ties into suicide. It's just suicide is one of the natural reactions to it. But not all the time. I think what Rob's exactly saying is like, we all go through loneliness, but not all of us go through it the same way as the people that commit suicide. Right. And it's more about trying to live with the hope of connecting with someone or other. But what it also is saying is that the internet can can exacerbate this pro this process. Yes, it can it speed does. it up. It can it's me- it's meant to connect us, but it's really not doing that. And even by watching TV, we're engaging in this disconnect. So the movie <laughs> one of one of the reviews said that the movie purposely made the the characters difficult to connect with. That's why it's weird because that's a theme in the movie. This is where when you're watching, it, it's hard to tell who's who and what's going on. But that was actually a directorial choice was that we're not supposed to connect with them because we are the voyeurs. Mm. We're trying to connect with the character and having trouble doing it. Just like the characters in the movie are trying to connect with other people and having trouble doing it. Yeah, that makes sense. And and we see this, we see this in the scene with, it's Harue, right? Harue. Harue, the, yeah, the TA, when she gets stuck in her loneliness and she looks directly into the camera, which she's seeing the ghost, which is supposed to be us watching the movie. Yeah. And she's trying to hug the ghost. That's us. We're the voyeurs. And then she says, I'm not alone. She's like, yay. But she can't really touch us. Which, which <laughs> it is, It's, it's it very is. hard to pull off. Yeah. I, I see why this is one that you have to watch like five times to really like fall in love I don't, with I don't it. Know. It's, you got to watch it by yourself at night and just really focus. That being said, there's yeah. a really bad pacing problem with this movie. It should be a half an hour shorter. Such a bad it, it, it should. The first half, 45 minutes of the movie are great. I yeah, and then it gets weird. And then it gets really intense. The <laughs> I'm sorry. I laughed so hard when um, all of a sudden for like a minute, it's a completely different film. She gets out of the boat looks ahead overhead and there's a plane <laughs> on fire <laughs> that just crashes and there's a giant explosion and i'm like what this is a completely different yeah. film right now what oh, yeah. happened that was just when shit like hits the fan it's all apocalyptic everywhere yeah yeah but it slowly got to that point i'm like this this feels so out of left field because we didn't set up that the world is at that point yet where planes are literally yeah. falling mm. out of the sky mm. it's very jarring that part yeah <laughs> it, it, it honestly it, it's like the budget I, of the film it doesn't look that great the plane crash it really doesn't no but i think it's yeah. also 2001 yeah that's true you know fair enough i mean also when harue kills herself there is just no blood it's like the most bloodless gunshot ever <laughs> um i mean one of yeah. the things that you were saying uh with the voyeurism is that in pulse but also in cam like a lot of the scenes are just people alone in a room with a computer screen and they both really really emphasize this image um and i think in pulse is strictly a thematic element but in cam it all it, it kind of has a similar effect although they don't lean into it as much that she is alone she has no yeah. friends all, all the people she knows are online. I don't know if that's destructive to her. It's not like it doesn't well, end up hurting her at any point, really. It other manifests than, the demon. It does yeah. manifest the demon. Cam's about the boundary of your personal life and your right, your yeah. your, your personal identity and your online identity, and the blurring yeah. of those boundaries, and it causes you to live inauthentically. Right, you become a voyeur of your own existence. Um, Pulse, on the other hand, says that the internet causes us to be a a voyeur of our own existence 
in that we, we become as if we're a ghost through watching mm -hmm. TV and faking a connection to people. We're, we're the same as if we're dead, we're a ghost because we just exist in a world, but we're not interacting with it. We're not changing it. And that's what they meant by that POV shot where it was looking at us and she looks directly into the camera and she's trying to hug us as a ghost because we can't hug her. She's well, and now she's 18 years older and or 20 years right. older and maybe in Japan. I don't know. What that is. <laughs> <laughs> you get me? Hey. No, I. <laughs> um, no, I, I think that's so interesting, and I think one thing, and I, I, what I love about watching these two movies together, and how we can be comparing them, is like one was when the internet age was it was still a fearful thing. People were so scared to like put themselves online, put them their real selves online. There were all these like. I, I remember in like high school and elementary school, you guys had to take mm -hmm. classes on like how to use the internet. I'm like that's <laughs> the thing people do now because the internet is is a tool now. It's not so much, of, or it's a life now, and it was a tool then. There's it's, it's it's a different. We have a different relationship with the internet. And I think watching Pulse and then watching Cam, we see how our relationship mm -hmm. to the internet has progressed and how it's changed. I love the scene when when uh, Harue is teaching Ryosaki how to. To use the internet, yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't, I don't really know anything about computers. She's like, oh, okay, so you, you go to the website. Wait, not so fast. Okay, and then you, you click on a button. Wait, I've got to write this down. Click on the button. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little, amazing. it's a little overdone, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But at one point, that that was you, David. That was little David. Where is the print key? How do I right click? How do I bookmark? I got to tell you, I've never gotten the print screen key to work. So I think part of why I don't connect to this movie very much is that yeah. I think I just disagree with it. That this movie is so terrified of the internet. And it's so like, this is going to consume your life. And you, you don't go on the internet. Because it will separate you from other people. And I, I just find that uninteresting and outdated uh, for me. And I think that Cam is interesting because it updates that That's idea fair. with this more modern view where, yes, she it does still have this problem where she, she doesn't have a personal life. She is not right. connected to the people in her, her actual life. Uh, but the solution to that is not to give up the internet. She explicitly, at the end of the movie, makes a new account and jumps right back into it. But now she has her mom by her side. She has support. Uh, people in her life know what she is doing. Mm -hmm. And that is giving her this stronger base of support that she will not be crossing her boundaries anymore, I think we can assume. Um, and it's, it's a very different takeaway. It's a more optimistic takeaway. And I, th I think it's just truer to, to life. Well, yeah, but I think that's too literal of an interpretation of Pulse. I feel like Cairo is more about the existential dread of just relationships, about how they're not really real. And I think to me, that speaks to me more than Cam, which is really yeah. just about identity theft. I think that's but, a bad message, though. <laughs> well, it's not. It's, well, that's why it's scary, because I think it's existential horror. And I think that's the best kind of horror. That's the kind of horror that touches you no matter where. It's not. The movie's not saying this is the case. It's saying if this were the case, that's fucking terrifying. Well, it is saying this is, is the case. Because it's not presenting in the any In the reality counter. of the movie. Totally. In the, in the reality of the movie. But it's not saying that's the case in the real world. If this is a fear that you have, then seeing it justified in a movie is going to amplify that fear. Yeah, which is what horror is about. But it also means that, oh, other people have this fear too. So you can connect with that. Yeah, I, th I think it's really interesting. And I, I want to touch on this, Rob. Um, you talk about the universal themes from both of, both of the films, but I think they're very relative of mm. what the fear of the internet was at that time. And I said this before, but I think that universal fear of, of loneliness was what we rooted the internet in, in 2001. And this like, this other fear of losing our, our identity is what we're rooting in now. Maybe there'll be something different now, but 2018, yeah, identity crisis, that was definitely something that was fearful about the internet. 
And I, I think that is the universe. It's a universal fear, but with, with the focus on the internet. Right. Specifically. But I, I think, I think in a lot of ways, the movie is kind of prophetic, especially if we're going to talk about the Hikikomori issue in Japan. And what we just call it shut ins here, but there's a lot of mm-hmm. people like that. Um, one of the most telling ones was I showed you guys that mini doc on the, uh, people who are living in cyber cafes yep and like that's just their life they just live in the cyber cafe you know they just yeah. rent out basically an internet space but present it for present it for the audience who doesn't know what that is uh, a cyber cafe is uh, is i guess they have them in new york too it's just a small internet room that you rent you rent it for a price as if it were a small motel room and you go in there and you're supposed to use it to use the use the computer that's in there and the Wi-Fi. So people go in and play video games usually. Yeah. But now people are using it as a place to live. <laughs> I guess they go walk around all day, do whatever, and then they live there. Or and, they never leave the room, etc. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll we'll link the doc that um, Rob sent in the show notes. Um, but it, it's really interesting. It does show the life of and and Rob, you use this term. Um, what what is it again? Could you could you actually explain what that is? Uh, it's a kigomori. It's uh, I think it translates directly to pull stay. Sorry if I'm wrong on that, but the idea is that they're like pulled to the room and they stay in there, and and these are people. I think it's defined as someone who leaves their room like once every six months or less. These are mostly people who just live in their rooms. So one of the, one of the big problems, I think David, you sent yep. this link, was that there are people who die in the room and no one knows, mm-hmm. and they'll find it. Like there was an old guy who died in there, and they didn't find him for three years. So now there's dedicated cleanup crews to go around and try to find these people and clean the room. Awful. if they died in there or just connect to them if they haven't died and these are just complete shut-ins who live in their own virtual reality anyone they talk to they talk to through a screen or, or through a phone and there's no real human connection so they live alone and they die alone it's so weird to like comment on this now though after the year that we've just had and i mean we're recording this in in 2021 after what has in april which is you know a little over a year of of being in a pandemic and essentially being these shut-ins get him a shot <laughs> um get him a shot my god david lucky but yeah it's, it's weird to comment on now because now we've all lived this this life and i mean we didn't choose it so it's different but i think something david said of like how he couldn't connect with these people like putting their whole life on the internet or being able to like not connect with someone on the internet. Like that's all you've been doing for the last year though, too. Yeah. But do you feel good about it? You guys met on the internet. We're talking on zoom right now. That's true. Yeah, We did. Rob and I made friends on the This is happening because of the internet. Yeah. But but, but how. (laughs) And we're talking to people who also don't know us (laughs) via the internet. That's true. But I would argue like, I wanted to see you guys in person a lot more. Yeah. And everybody, like there was, there was probably two and a half months where I was just in my apartment by myself. And all I had was my phone and my internet, my weight set and whatever, you know, the weight set that I was collecting dust. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I felt like I needed a human connection. I didn't hug anyone for like two months. It was fucked yeah. up. Yeah. And it would have been so much worse without the internet. Yeah. It would have been, well, yeah, it would have been worse without the internet. But we get to see this problem of like, oh, I'm still supposedly connecting with people through this thing but it's not real yeah you know oh my god wait did pulse event the virtual hug yes she virtually hugged all of us (laughs) do you think so and I don't know about you guys, but I I did not hug back because I didn't realize Aww. that was what was happening. Yeah, me either. When when Rob was describing that, I was like, "Oh, that's great." It is. I I saw the description somewhere after watching the movie, but I I did not catch on to that while I was watching it. I was just like, "What is the scene?" Do you think I should take this three star movie and recut it into a four star movie by removing twenty minutes? Yeah, I mean, honestly, get rid of the, the fucking, fucking plane. plane. Yeah, I, I like <laughs> the plane scene actually. I know, I know, it's kind of funny, but it's like everything's going to apocalyptic. Honestly, get rid of every all the stuff with Juco. It, it it's just we know this already. We've done all this stuff already. Although there is an interesting thing with Junko and also with Harue after they've seen the ghost and they're in this excessive. Uh, suicidal depression and their friends are with them the two main characters are both with their individual sidekicks sort of and saying like oh I'll, I'm here for you I will be here for you one moment I'm gonna go make you yeah. some food and then they leave and so the person dumb. Dies. they're like yeah like what stop why do you keep leaving them 
it's not I I would do I would have done that. <laughs> like yeah, I can't you can't be with But they know, but they know how fragile it is though. They they know and that yet they which all of this goes to Rob's point of like no matter like how close you can be with your friends, they're still not going to be there with you exactly. always, you know. But I think that's the message that the message that the movie misses is that that's okay and that doesn't mean that the connection is not real. That you can still be connected to someone who is not right next to you. And I think Cam understands that and Pulse glosses over yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, but even in, no, 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 no. But in Cam, she, the problem is she's connecting too much with the people through the, through the screen. She's crossing her boundary. And she's not connecting with the people in her real life. Mm. What Pulse says is that neither one is real and that we're doomed to die alone. But it's a fear. It's not like the movie. It's not. It's not a philosophical argument essay or anything. And I'm calling bullshit well, that's on what that makes fear. It right? I mean, no, it's a real fear, but it's a fear that is bullshit. <laughs> and I think it's important to understand that it's bullshit. But that's what makes it a horror movie: is that we're talking about a fear that yes. a lot of people yes. really have, and that when you're really depressed, you probably hell have. yeah, I've had that that's, fear. Yeah, but, but it's that's bullshit. what makes it and fucking good. To recognize that's the fear we all have. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't go the extra step where it yeah but i think out. that makes that would make it a lesser horror movie which is why it is arguing that this is a real thing and that's not just a few no 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 but, but horror movies are better when they're tragic they're they're when they pull the punch at the end they're less terrifying it's scarier if it's tragic Th- this movie is arguing that the sphere is legitimate it is arguing that we do are not connected to people and that you can't actually be connected to someone that you can't know someone that is what this movie is saying it is justifying that fear because if it wasn't it would present another way even if the characters miss that bait and don't go that way or if the ghosts pervert it somehow it would show you that this is not the end all be all instead the movie says oh no we're not connected this is it everything is loneliness we'll die and we'll still be lonely we're lonely right now. Uh, except for Michi, who does go on living. Yeah, she goes she does on go on living with someone she's not connected to. Yeah, but she but even remember she goes to uh Ryoshi. What's his name? Ryoshi. I'm so bad. At it. Yeah, it, it's it's Ryosuke. She even goes to his stain. Like she's she's like I. She, what, what that scene is showing is she still has a connection to him, even though he's dead and he's gone. They're just missing it. So I think that part is in the movie. It's just subtly implied. I I think and like I. I, don't, I this is why I think it's still about grief. It's like people still go on living through other people. Like she says that she still feels connected to her friend, even though he's not there because she keeps him living through. She, she continues living. His memory lives with her and therefore he gets his wish of being immortal. Right. He always said that he wanted to live on forever. And in that way she gets to, um, she gets to honor that wish. Now we're on to my favorite part of the show, which is the bone review section. Here we rate the movies based on a four bone uh, rating score system where one bone, zero bones is terrible, barely a movie. Four bones is a masterpiece with bones and a half in between. So let's start off with David and we're going to go with Cam. What, how many bones do you give this one? I'm going to give Cam three bones. I think it's really, really good. Um, I do have some problems with it, but... Overall, I, I care movie, more about a movie's strengths than its weaknesses, and I think that it's really, really good when it's good. Um, and I think everyone should watch it. Uh, and then Pulse, I'm, I'll be generous and give it one and a half bones, because I think that it has some things that are really cool in it, uh, and it has some good scares. Uh, I also think that it's it's uh, it, 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 it's if Junji Ito were really boring, is what the movie is. <laughs> brutal, brutal. Uh, Junji Ito is not even a director. <laughs> All right, I, I'm I'm pretty much with David. I'll, I'm gonna give Cam three three bones. I really really like this movie. I think it's really really well done. Yeah, I think it's really smart. I really like it. Everyone should see it. Uh, Pulse. I'm going to give two bones. I think there are a lot of smart things about it. Um, I really like a lot of the technical aspects, a lot of the creative direction, but I think ultimately the script and the the character development was what brought me down. So um, two bones. 
So I'm also going to give Cam three bones. I, I really like Cam. Um, I think there's a few things kind of wrong with the ending. And it could have been a little bit scarier and stronger. But overall, it was really interesting. It's a very original uh, story. And it talks to a deep-seated fear that we're all facing given this current technology. And I love movies about that. Um, but you guys couldn't be more wrong about this. I find this one of the scariest, original, creepy ghost movies I've ever seen. Those first 45 minutes still have me shaking on the couch. When I watch this shit, I'm like, oh my god, what is going to happen? And when I'm done, I feel like empty and void and gross afterwards. Which is the way horror movies should leave you. They should leave you questioning and upset. Uh, Pulse gets three and a half bones. Thank you guys for watching this very special episode of voyeurism and the trouble of existential dread through technology and the internet in our pulse and cam video review analysis podcast i'm rob basercia and with me again are david b jacobs and devin shepherd and we are cadaver dogs we'll be covering on our next episode in two weeks we'll be discussing that's right we'll be looking at society's view of queer culture through the lens of some bitchin vampire 80s cinema our first film is the original 1985 fright night written and directed by tom holland who also wrote and directed the classic child's play and our second film is everyone's favorite vampire erotica 1987's the lost boys now, we highly suggest you watch these movies before listening, but if you don't, that's totally fine. If you do end up watching, be sure to tweet us your thoughts at Cadaver Dogs Pod. In two weeks, join us here for our conversation about Fright Night and The Lost Boys. Until next time, pups. <laughs>